Every plate looks better with a garnish. Just like every story sounds better with some curse words. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Catering WTF, Episode 9, a little chat about tastings. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Catering WTF. All right, so here it goes again. We had another tasting uh, last week. Uh, this one, huge. 11 hors d'oeuvres, two salads, three entrees, four small chef-plated stations, three late-night past items, one style of milkshake, and six desserts. And of course, it's a tasting, so there's no charge, we're there all day, all the normal things that go along with it. Okay, this has become commonplace. But before I start complaining about tastings, we need to back up and talk about what is a tasting? What is it? What was the purpose? Who defined it? Who came up with it? What's going on with that? Right? So tasting basically is a sales tool, really, when it comes down to it. Uh, most caterers have a pretty high closing rate on tastings. If 90% of the time, 80% of the time, most clients know which caterer that they're going to go with anyway, or they at least have uh, have that narrowed down. So your chances of closing on a tasting is pretty strong, you know, especially if you're accompanied by a planner or uh, you have history with that catering company or something like that. So th- those are all great things. That's, what, that's the design of it, right? It's to... Uh, book the sale. That's the first part. The other part is sometimes you already have the sale. So why are you doing a tasting if you already have the sale? Well, there's a couple of things that uh, tasting's good for there too. One is it narrows down choices. So there are uh, brides and grooms and different corporate clients out there that obviously want to take a look of what their choices are, what their theme is, and how to narrow that down. And they want to they want to taste the product. So that that's a pretty obvious choice and something that is legitimate. It's also ideation. Sometimes ideation is they want to come up with something new. They want you to come up with something new. If it's new, you haven't done it. They haven't done it. They have to see what it looks like, right? So that's one. And then another one is, you know, you want to showcase uh, your food and your history of a caterer and your chef and all those things. And it honestly, for the chefs, it's one of the few times that we can be interactive and ask the questions that we need to ask for. So that's what a tasting is. Now, the funny thing about tastings is who else does something like this? Do restaurants do tastings? Do you get to go to a restaurant and say, before, as I'm sitting at the table before I order, I would like to taste like 10 of your items. And then we'll decide if we're going to eat here or not. That, that never fucking happens, right? What about a shoe company? Can you go to Nike and say, hey, man, I want to try on your shoes. Let me have them for a month. If I don't like them, I'm not going to pay for them. I'll send them back. Nope, that doesn't happen either. Does that happen at Home Depot? Nope, can't go get stuff at Home Depot, bring it home, try it out, and when you're done with it, bring it back. Oh, well, actually you can, but that's kind of, you know, under the radar and pretty much theft at that point because you're just using it and returning it. But that's not going to happen in the food industry. You know, what about the car industry? So the car industry, you're allowed to test drive, right? You can test drive a car. So that's kind of similar, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to make a big purchase. I want to, you know, buy a Mercedes. I want to test drive it. They let you test drive it. You drive a couple of miles, take it on the highway or not, depending on the car company. 
and then you bring the car back. The difference there is 150 people can test drive that vehicle. When you're doing a tasting, we're done. Like, we can't reuse the food for somebody else so they can test drive it too. So it's funny to me that I'm looking around and trying to figure out what other company and what other style of company does something like this where they spend probably anywhere from 5 to 12% of their annual budget giving away free food along with the time and labor that it spends to do it. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. But that's what we do. So, and, and backing up again, it's what is the history of tastings? Where, how did this all start and where did it begin, right? That's, that's kind of what I wanted to look for too. So in my research, talking to some older catering companies and what they started with and, you know, when I started in the, in the early 2000s and I had chefs that were there before me that did tastings in the late 90s. But the tastings back then were literally, I remember we used to do four hors d'oeuvres. That was it for a tasting. And usually they didn't get to choose. So tastings were very, very limited. It was basically to show them that you, uh, a flavor profile, this is kind of what we do. This is what's going on. Meet and greet bride and groom or the client or whoever it is. And that was it. And then it started evolving from there. Uh, And then what happened from that point is uh, wedding magazines and places like The Knot started to include tastings on a list of things that you need to do before you get married. And what that meant was basically generally pick a caterer and then before you pick the caterer, you need to taste it and make sure that's the caterer you want. So that didn't dramatically change the, the, what a tasting was, but what it did do is it elevated the tasting game. Now what's happening is you can get 11 hors d'oeuvres, two salads, three entrees, four small plate stations, three late night snacks, one milkshake, and six fucking desserts anytime you want to because the catering companies are A, afraid to say no, A, B, afraid to charge, and C, they want to book the client. So it's evolved into this monster of a problem for every caterers. And that's the history of it. And I guess part of the history too is that planners and clients and everybody feel like they're allowed to do that, not only because it's in a magazine and it's telling them to, but because they think that they're buying a big ticket item, right? When you go to dinner and you spend... 40 bucks per person and there's two of you it's an 80 dollar dinner 100 dollar dinner whatever it is you you don't have the right to do that but if you spend twenty thousand dollars going to do your wedding then you feel that's a big ticket item so that you're now allowed to do that and and honestly that's kind of how it got wrapped into caterers because if you are spending twenty thousand dollars on a wedding and we do three weddings average a week at $20,000, that's 60 grand every week. The tastings kind of come out in the wash. That's kind of how it, we deal with it. However, there's more to it than that because now we're in COVID and the parties are 25 people and we don't have that many. But our tastings have increased. And that's part of the problem. Now, in the history of tastings, there's a couple of examples that I want to go through because we've done some, in my time, I've done some doozies. My favorite tasting ever was for the Masters in Augusta. And this was a huge, huge, huge account, okay? So I got to say that and give props to that because we had to do it. 
what they were tasting was a mock-up of what actually would happen when their guests are there. So the tasting was, when they got there, they rented a house. In that house, we had to put breakfast basket, a lunch and cheese board, cheese and meat basket. We had to put two different types of snack baskets and a full bar. That's part of the tasting. That's the first part of the tasting in the house that they were staying at. Then once they had that, we came to that house for dinner that night to give them a tasting on what a dinner would be. Then we spent the night and had to do a breakfast and lunch tasting to get this piece of business, which we did get, which was great. But that is a three-day tasting for three chefs and a salesperson staying down there and all the stuff that goes along with it, all of which is free of charge, all of it. Now, that's corporate. We've done a bunch of out-of-town tastings. We've In Charleston, we've driven to Savannah. When I was in Atlanta, we would go to Macon, whatever it was. We tried all kinds of different things back then. I did group tastings. We tried to get rid of individual tastings and thought that maybe if we did a group tasting once a month, that it would eliminate the individual tastings. And therefore, we would save money, time, food, energy, all the things we're trying to work on. That didn't work either. What happened is we did group tastings, and then we still had regular tastings. So now we doubled it. Uh, And in Atlanta, the worst year we ever had, we spent $800,000 on tastings in one year. We had 842 tastings. So that's out of control and ridiculous and a huge part of your business. So it's a big bitch for me. So let's go through some of the problems. First one I mentioned already is, especially during COVID, is financial. How do you charge for things? The caterers right now are on the verge of collapsing. There's caterers here that have closed. There's caterers in Atlanta that have closed. I've talked to a couple of caterers that uh, I highly respect and are very large caterers up in Chicago, uh, Canada, um, even Atlanta, different places like that. And they never used to charge for tastings, and now they are. So if you have a party and your party is over 100 people and it's a higher than a $8,000 check average, then they'll do it for free. If it's 25 people and you want a tasting, they charge you. Okay, They charge $75. Some of them charge $150. Some of them charge whatever it is. And then if the people charging $150, sometimes you get half that. If you book the party, you get half the money back towards your wedding, whatever it is. Everybody's coming up with creative ways to deal with it. Uh, another problem that nobody realizes, it's a time and energy vampire. So it's usually during the week, sometimes on the weekends, we do Saturday ones, uh, unless we're super slammed, we'll do a Saturday tasting and it kills you for three, four hours because, and, and not just the chefs, cause we're prepping it, ordering it, getting everything, getting it ready to go, but also the sales team and who's coming in to get the table set and get the iPad going and get all the stuff that they need to have there and make sure we have coffee if they ask or uh, beverage. I mean, in, in, in Charleston, we can do our own beverages. So that we, we've had, I had a beverage tasting where they taste six different beverages. So basically they're eating and getting shit-faced and it's all free. Uh, the chef's table thing doesn't work. The group tasting thing doesn't work. It's great for them to see uh, and it's good when you're dead and you can have your employees work it and give them hours. But from a business point of view, it may, you make no money. You may, you're making no money. And during COVID, we got to figure that out. The other thing is, what if they don't book? What if they do a tasting or God forbid, two tastings, and then they book with another caterer, right? You're out that money unless you charge ahead of time. So that's a huge one. What if they do book? What if they do book? And how do you handle the tasting if you did charge them? 
Um, those are all just crazy things that you have to deal with, and especially right now. Another problem is, you know, things aren't in season. A lot of times what happens is chefs will do a tasting in the middle of February and they want heirloom tomatoes and peaches on a, you know, with a salad or appetite. And it's like, A, we can't get it. And B, if we do get it, it's going to taste like shit. It's going to be crap. And then that's a reflection on us. Those things need to be addressed and announced. The other part of tastings that's a problem is ordering, right? We have to order food from purveyors, okay? I can't get one apple, right? Nobody does that. So what happens is most caterers, they go to the store and then you pay retail price. So not only are you just paying for food, you're paying retail price to do a tasting that generates no fucking revenue for you. And when we're in COVID and we only have one party in a week and we have six tastings, we lose money. Those are the things that frustrate most businesses and dealing with tastings. And I've read a lot of stuff recently uh, with, with Cater Buzz and different things like that. And everybody's asking, what are, we, what are we doing? How are we resolving this problem? And what can we do about it? And honestly, there's nothing. Because if you start charging and your competitor doesn't, then what's going to happen is the fear is they're going to go with the competitor, right? Because they're more amicable, they understand, blah, blah, all that crap. So you lose. So you you have to keep doing it. It's a never-ending, vicious cycle. And so, you know, my my theory is that all caterers get together and they make a standard thing, just like we everybody pays taxes. So if you do a tasting, there's a tax on tasting. And here's the tax. It is 15% of whatever the cost of the tasting is. And that includes the labor and the time for the salesperson, and the food. And then that's what it is, and it's across the board, that's what everybody pays. You know, if we did something like that, we'd still be on the same playing field, and we all wouldn't be losing our ass. So I don't know how that's going to get started, but somebody out there should start that crap and get that going. Another thing is with the purchasing and the, and the stocking of the products and stuff like that, if we have leftovers and we don't need them that week, what, what happens? For, for us... Uh, I was very fortunate that in multiple caterers I've worked for, they've been part of restaurant groups. That food goes to restaurants, right? Hopefully a chef there can make make that into a special, do something like that so it can be utilized. A, it doesn't go to waste. And B, there's some type of financial uh, revenue made from that. So that's another thing. Or if not, if you don't, it sits on your shelf for four days and somebody throws it away or they steal it or it gets made into lunch A or whatever you're doing. And then it goes from there. It, it's just a lose-lose every single time. Another one is be very specific, okay? Be specific in your menus. No dumb menus. I don't like people who put, we'd like to try a, a cheese platter sampling. Are you, if they're trying to pick a specific cheese, I get it. If they just want a cheese, you know, a cheese board, then no, everybody knows what the fuck that is. So you don't need to taste that. Like, that's not a tasting thing. If you want to see how it's set up or how it looks or how much we do per person, all those questions can be asked. But you don't need to taste a product that you can buy at a store and then taste it yourself. Like, there's, you know, you can pick your favorite cheeses. You know, my favorite is they come in and they're like, ah, we want to do a cheese tasting. We love Mahone and Red Dragon. Well, why are you tasting something that you can fucking buy? That's the dumbest shit in the world. I'm not fucking doing that. The answer is no, I'm not doing that. You know, it's crazy. And be specific about what you're looking for. But don't just ask for things that you know are not going to be on your wedding or whatever your party is. Uh, I had a client in Atlanta that did three tastings with us. First two, we didn't charge them. The third one, we're like, listen, dude, you keep coming back. It's like every Tuesday you're in here at 11 o'clock for fucking lunch. 
And it's like, oh, we're going to charge you 50 bucks. They were like, no problem. We'll pay the 50 bucks. So they paid the 50 bucks. Then next week they called and said, we'd like to take some other stuff. This is, I was, we were like, no. Then I found out that they were doing that to two other caterers. They literally ate for two months free every Tuesday and Wednesday. And that's what they were fucking doing. And it's, it's, it's like, who does that shit? But they knew the system. They knew what was going on and they did it. And, you know, you have to catch on to that. And again, there's another podcast, but as caterers, we need to be friends. We need to know what's going on. We need to have a respect for each other and what we do and help each other out. So when this kind of shit happens, we can call and say, hey, this person's had like three tastings. I, you know, talk to a planner. I heard they're going to multiple places. Yeah, they, they went to this place and that place. Okay, that's, a, that's an issue. You know, if there's a health inspection or a COVID scare or any of the things like that, we communicate with our, our fellow caterers and make sure that everybody's okay and what we can do to help. So all those things are important. Uh, again, I wish we could all come, at least in this city, come together and be like, this is what everybody's now charging for tastings and it is what it is and we're done. And then everybody would be much happier. And especially during COVID, we could actually, we're not going to make money, but we're not going to, we won't lose as much money, let's say that. It's a pain in the ass. So here's some of the here's some of the solutions I want to go over. So for you sales team pe- people out there, it is an energy vampire for you guys too. I know you don't like it. No one wants to come in and sit for two hours and either, A, either watch other people eat or B, even if you're eating with them, it kills your day when you could be doing other sales, when you could be uh, following up on BEOs, all the things you have to do. So I totally get that you don't fucking like it either. Kitchen doesn't like it. Um, I mean, it is a dual-edged sword. We do like cooking for people, so that's fun. And sometimes we have a lot of fun in tastings. Uh, chefs are great because they get to uh, engage with people. It's one of the, again, few opportunities we're allowed to talk directly to the client that's not on their wedding day when they're busy as hell. And it's an opportunity to learn about them and do things. It's a double-edged sword. We have fun doing it, but at the same time, it kills our business, kills our time, kills everything. But if you're out there and listening... Things that help your team as a salesperson ahead of time on a BEO or whatever you guys use, have the date of the party, have the location, make sure that they understand at the tasting and at the party that if there's a rain plan or it's going to be 99 degrees in Charleston, that putting out brie at a cheese station in the middle of a plantation is a fucking bad idea, no matter what the tasting people say. So it's like those type of things, man. Be smart with what's going on there. So location is important. Discussing the ins and outs of that location and how that can directly affect what they're going to have and the quality that they're going to have is important. Estimate amount of people. Is it for a thousand people or is it for for eight people? Because that's a huge difference. Style of party. Is it plated? Is it chef attended stations? Is it buffet? Even though that no one's doing buffets anymore thanks to COVID, but it, what, is, what is it? Is it a house party where you want it to be interactive and the chef describes everything? You don't need a menu? Is it like, we need to know that. And that, that'll help the sale. Um, is there a theme? That's important. Names and ad- identification of people, right? The f- first and last name of the bride and the groom, the, the father of the bride, mother of the bride, mother of the groom, aunts and uncles, what planner's coming. All that information is super important to us when we're trying to make this sale and help the salesperson make this sale. All this should be listed on the BEO. Dietary restrictions. Having printing tasting menus out there so that not only the chefs can make notes, the salesperson can make notes, and the guests can make notes. They make it on those things. Have an iPad out there that has examples. So if they do want to see a cheese display, we have photos of that. 
and where it's located and how we set it up so that we don't have to do it during a tasting. And be flexible. As salespeople, be flexible. If you want something that's crazy and it's not in season, we can't get it for you. You're going to have to explain that. It's not like just shit's just fucking there all the time. So understand that. And and the other thing too is pricing. If there's something, if somebody wants a slice of prime rib and we have to get a whole prime rib, we may not do that. No, I'm not going to buy a whole prime rib in order to do a two-person tasting. It doesn't financially make sense and I can't do anything with it. So no, you can taste the tenderloin because I have that on a menu. Things like that. Be receptive to feedback. If we're like, no, I don't think that's a good salad for this time of year, then be receptive to that. We're, that we're there to guide your guest. Things on there you can put to help us out is, is, is chef's choice. You know, hey, they want a salad. They were, they're trying it. They don't really have any ideas. Can you give me two chef's choice salads based on the seasonality, the venue, the location? And then let us do that part of it. And then at the tasting, we can talk through it. Oh, I don't really like this one because it's got strawberries. My mother doesn't like strawberries. Okay, so that one's off the table. How about we replace it with peaches or pears or whatever it is based on seasonality? Or maybe we don't do a fruit salad. Maybe you just want a classic Caesar. Whatever it is, let us help do that process. And it would be, comes out much better and it's cheaper on our end. For the businesses, right? Set guidelines, guys. Set guidelines. You know, we do, we're only allowed to do two tastings a, a day, occasionally on Monday, no Tuesdays because that's our meeting day. We have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then occasionally on Saturday. So those are, the, those are guidelines. Uh, same thing in Atlanta, that's what we did. So it's those type of things. When can they do them? They do them in the afternoons. Can't do them at four o'clock because we're all at parties. We're already at functions. Or if there's not a function, most of us have left. So we don't want to do tastings at four and five o'clock in, in the nighttime. How many, how, we already talked about how many to do is two. And then, you know, the timing of that. Sometimes we do night ones. Obviously, when I gave you the master's one, that was entirely different. Menu options, Right. Menu options are, are huge. So as a business, you have to tell them that, you know, there's certain guidelines that we have and there's certain things you can't taste. So you can't just pull a whole menu or pull anything out of Pinterest or whatever and be like, I want to taste these nine things. You know, as a business, we have a right to say, no, it's not an option to taste. Um, keep consistent. Keep consistent with the rules. Keep consistent with your food quality. Keep consistent with your information. And all of those things will help us out and help your sales team out. If you happen to be part of a restaurant group, utilize the restaurants. If we can't do a tasting, have the salesperson take them out to lunch at the re- one of the restaurants. It at least is in the same concept, and it's similar to what you're doing. So that can be part of a, a solution for tasting problems. From a client standpoint, guys, empathy and understanding, right? Understand that this is limited tasting. This is not for you to check off a list just because it's a list. It is not for you to come have lunch three times in a week. It is literally for you guys to give us the opportunity to showcase what we do, our style, how we do things, give you the little pitch and song and dance. We ask for feedback all the time from you guys. That's the goal of it. So understand that. And if there's certain things we can and can't do, then you have to understand that. That's that's all we're asking. The other thing is, that, you know, lastly is the financial thing. And right now, I we've been talking about that. I don't know what to do about that. A lot of places now are starting to charge, which I've never seen before. So that might be something that we move into. I, I don't know. But that's my little rant and, and educational session on tastings. I know I could have gone a lot more crazy on this and given you a lot more. Um, it could have been a much more rated R version 
because I could go through some of the shit we see at tastings, which is crazy. Um, and we're not doing that one. This one, I'm trying to keep it simple and clean and educational and still a little bit fun and know that there's an issue and that we're all trying to solve it. And whatever you can do to help is, is makes that whole thing better. So again, stay healthy, you know, stay safe, keep positive and always keep your boots on the ground. If you like this podcast and you like what's going on, subscribe to it. Give us the opportunity to have a voice and have a back-of-the-house voice so people can rant like I'm doing. Thank you for listening, and I really appreciate it. Plug up. Plug up, bitch. Hello? I got nothing. I'm in here.